Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 229. It is May of 2019, and I'm back here at the microphone after two weeks on the road. I first went to the Ohio Genealogical Society Conference. That was for, I guess, the first week of May, and that was in Mason, Ohio at the Great Wolf Lodge. Now, that was a little different environment for getting together with genealogists uh, with water slides, right? <laughs> and lots of kids and story times and all kinds of things going on. But um, uh, we had a great time. It was a wonderful facility. And right after that, just the next week was the National Genealogical Society Conference. And that was held in St. Charles, Missouri. Now that conference, the NGS conference had been there. And I want to say it was about three years ago. And St. Charles is a great little town. Gosh, it was founded back in, I think, 1769. So it has a little kind of main street along the waterfront, which is really charming and certainly chock full of history. So it was a great location for that. And that's a lot of what I do uh, in between podcast episodes. It's really um, traveling and going to conferences and seminars and you know, the best part of that is getting to meet so many of you. Uh, I got to meet lots of listeners at both locations. And that's really special because, you know, we get together here and we chat, but I don't get your smiling face right in front of me. So <laughs> it's really nice when I get to do that in a live event. And, you know, each one of those conferences had its own kind of special, unique feel. But one of the things that I noticed in both was there was a large number of new genealogists. You know, for years now, we've been pretty concerned about the slow growth of genealogy societies, but I wonder if it's maybe finally catching up and we're starting to make a turn because there was a large percentage of people. I, I tended to ask people as they came by the booth or they came up to me after class, and a lot of people were new. And many of them said this was their first time ever going to a genealogy conference. So that's awesome. Uh, because it means people are not just getting involved in family history, but they're getting involved in the community, right? And doing it in in person, making the time and uh, making the effort to, to do it in person, which also means, you know, it's not just conferences. We want to get out to libraries and archives and repositories that uh, we have to do in person. That's just the way you do it. And it's amazing how much synergy comes from that and really how many wonderful discoveries can happen. I know many people were running around with the family search app and they were finding out who they were cousins with and that kind of thing. So that's just really cool. And it was wonderful to see. And that means we have a lot of new listeners here, which is really terrific. So welcome to all of you. Um, I kind of pounded that in each of my classes, <laughs> you know, saying, if you aren't listening yet, uh, you got to try it out. And I think for many people, podcasting seems kind of daunting. And I think it's because, you know, it wasn't that many years ago, it was daunting to get all signed up and in iTunes and figure all that out. But wow, now with our smartphones, it's super easy. So we helped lots and lots of people get their subscription set up either in their smartphone app 
or downloading our app from the App Store. Either way works. And of course, the Genealogy Gems podcast app listeners get oftentimes a little special extra bonus content that's in the just the app. Uh, but either way, you get the show and we are so happy to have you here. And of course, one of my other favorite things that happens at genealogy events like these is not just getting to meet so many of you, but often you have stories to tell me about what you've learned or discovered as a result of listening to the podcast. And that was certainly the case with Carol, who enthusiastically approached me and she was clutching a beautiful old sepia tone postcard. Tell us your name. Carol Rinaldi. I was in your class in October at the Lewis Genealogy Society meeting. one day seminar, that's right. Yes, one day seminar. And you talked about how to use Google and Googling things. And you mentioned how you had used your husband's side of the family. And you had gone on to eBay and done a search. And you said you came up with a postcard or something. And I went home and I said oh, this isn't going to work, but I'll try it. And lo and behold, I searched for the little town in Ohio that my ancestors are from and got a postcard. Which you're that, holding in your hand. That is a picture of the church founded by, helped that was helped founded by the people on the back. And they are my great grandparents. And there's the name, the Amy family. Yes, yes. Were you surprised? I was floored, and I didn't want to buy the postcard because it was $16, and my husband goes, you've got to be kidding me. If you don't buy it, I will. <laughs> That's a good husband. Thank yes. you so much for sharing that. Oh, that is fantastic. Welcome. Congratulations. Thank you. Isn't that a great story? Uh, you can head to the show notes for this episode, which again is number 229 at genealogygems.com. In the app, you just basically scroll down and and you'll see the show notes there. But on our website, we do have a photograph of Carol with her photo. And she's right. What's so amazing is, you know, you turn the postcard over and there is the name of her family, handwritten. Somebody in her family had sent that postcard. So that's just really cool. And I've got lots more from Genealogy Gems podcast listeners. So let's head to the mailbox and hear from you. As I travel the world talking about genealogy, folks are always stopping me and asking for my advice on organizing and securing their family history research. And my standard answer is plant your family tree in your own backyard and share branches online. Planting your tree in your own backyard, it means keeping one master family tree in a software file right there on your own computer. That gives you ownership, control of privacy and security, and one central place to organize everything that you learn about your family. And of course, my software of choice and the one that I use is Roots Magic. I find that its tree building tools are second to none. And with Roots Magic web hints, you can see what record hints are available on Family Search, Find My Past, and My Heritage. And now you have the ability to synchronize your Roots Magic database with your ancestry tree and get those ancestry.com web hints right there inside of Roots Magic. 
These are features that are really critical and they're exclusive to Roots Magic. So plant your tree today in Roots Magic and watch it grow. Get started at rootsmagic.com. And I bet he's glad, but more than any other, a line from my old mother. Bring me a letter from my hometown. All right, well, I've got catching up to do with sharing mailbox uh, items here because I've been hearing from so many of you. We we hear from you on social media. We get your emails. We have your comments left on the blog posts and the podcast episodes. I love it. I love hearing from all of you. And thank you so much for being so interactive. Robin from Virginia, she got in touch with me and she says, I listened to episode 228, our last episode, on my way to work the other morning. Would you please thank Sydney Orton for allowing you to share her wonderful recording of her grandfather? My grandfather died before I was born, and my mother always told me what a nice singing voice he had. He used to sing hymns around the house all the time when she was growing up. What a treasure if I had some kind of recording of that. It brought me to tears at the Toll Plaza of all places, <laughs> laughing out loud. That's from Robin. <laughs> Sorry, Robin. They didn't let you through the toll plaza for free because you were crying. Sorry. <laughs> that was wonderful. And, you know, I told you guys I saw Sydney Orton over on Instagram. And it, I saw the video of her and her sister singing along with her grandfather's recording, which is just so charming. And I got in touch with her and it turned out that she was one of the video finalists in the video contest at Roots Tech this year. So... All the way around, it was just such a delight that she shared it with the world in so many different ways. And we were very, very pleased that she shared it with us here at the podcast. So I'm glad you liked it. Next up, I have an email here from Steve. And this one grabbed my attention because in big capital letters, it says, OMG. (laughs) He says, OMG, I've had my premium subscription less than a week, and it's already proved to be valuable in a big way. He says, I've been using Family Search for years, but I never realized the vast store of information in the unindexed section of their website. I never knew it was there, let alone how to get to it. I was out walking yesterday while listening to one of the premium podcasts when it was explained how to get these records. When I got home and I checked it out, I was totally blown away by the possibilities that await me there. Thanks. Well, you are so welcome, Steve. Oh, I love hearing about the discoveries. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we went into that in real detail in the Genealogy Gems Premium Podcast. And he's talking about his subscription. So the subscription includes the videos, my video classes and the handouts. And it also has a full premium podcast, uh, commercial free and all that. And we go in depth in a lot of topics. So I am thrilled to hear that uh, <laughs> it's already made such a difference for you. That's fantastic. Now, I got an email here from Riley, and Riley says, I have just found your podcast, exclamation point. I am so grateful I did because I've learned so much from you. Here's a small story that I hope inspires someone in a similar situation. I started really diving into genealogy two years ago. 
I've always felt a desire to learn more about my ancestors and build a relationship with them. My dive really wasn't necessary because the surface had hardly been touched on my mother's side of the family. My maternal grandfather's line only goes back five generations from myself. This man, my fourth great-grandfather, Adam Fuhrer, we knew very little about. I have ancestry and family search accounts, but I had no luck finding anything about him on either side. So she's talking about Ancestry.com and FamilySearch.org. We knew he was from, quote, Germany, and on his death certificates and other documents I have been able to find on him, it says parents unknown, in quotes. Well, this was so aggravating. So I would patiently check in if any document about him had been indexed, and no such luck. One day, a friend suggested that I create a person in family search with only a last name and an estimated birth year and just Germany as the birthplace to see if any suggested hints populated on this person. Well, months went by and nothing. By this time, I had found most of Adam's documents recording him in America, but no German documents, including his birth certificate. Fast forward to this year, I started school and I'm in an American history class. I've learned much about immigration and have integrated my genealogy research into this class, so I don't feel too bad about spending time on genealogy rather than homework. One night, I was up late doing homework looking for a primary source document from another German ancestor, and bingo, I found a ton of information about this other ancestor, also from Germany. I couldn't believe my luck. By this time, it was almost 2 (laughs) a.m. We can all identify with you, Riley. (laughs) She says, I kept telling myself I was only going to sort through one more document, hint, and then go to bed, but I couldn't stop. Once I had reached a comfortable stopping point, I had a feeling to create a person as Adam's father in ancestry. Naturally, I had to, and a hint came up for Adam's mother in ancestry. I couldn't believe it. And then she writes in capital letters, I could not believe it. (laughs) I'd been searching for an inkling of information of Adam's parents and his birthplace or any residence in Germany for a year. And I had a hint right in front of my face. Now this hint is only a hint. It is from another member's tree and it has no sources attached to it, but the information about Adam on the hinted tree was a hundred percent match to what I had on my tree. Through all my searches, I have no idea how I hadn't found that tree before. I am in a predicament now that I am not sure exactly how to go about solving. How do I find sources for these people? I've searched all over Ancestry and Family Search, and I've had no luck again. I really want to believe that the people I have as Adam's parents and siblings all the way through his second great-grandparents, paternal, are truly his family, but I need to get more information. Where can I go for help with German records, and where can I continue my search? I'm so excited, but I know getting solid facts is a must. Thank you so much. And I hope you have some excitement in your search with love and gratitude, Riley. Well, you're absolutely right, Riley. Getting solid facts is a must. And congratulations on everything you found. You've opened up doors, right? By finding all of these leads. But you're absolutely right. You've just found hints. And they are just hints. So it sounds like 
at really at this point, it's time to kind of move on beyond the genealogy giants websites, which is Ancestry, Family Search, um, My Heritage is one to definitely take a look at, and Find My Past is the other one. Now they do have some American records, but not as likely to have what you might be looking for for these German uh, ancestors. And I think once you move beyond Family Search, Ancestry, and My Heritage, I think you're ready to check out some of the German records websites, the libraries, archives to find real sources that nail down your family tree. Now, we have several articles and an episode at Genealogy Gems that can help you do this. So if you go to the website, genealogygems.com, at the top of the page, on the home page, you're going to see where it says Start Learning. And there's a drop-down menu at the top of our home page. So just click on the arrow and you'll see in the menu, just scroll through alphabetically and get to German. Um, click on that and it's going to take you to a results page. And this page are, includes all the articles that we have categorized as German research. And there's a lot of them here. We have had certainly one of the top German researchers here at Genealogy Gems uh, on the show, Jim Beidler. I just saw Jim out at the OGS and the NGS conferences. Uh, He's just published a new book, in fact, on German maps. Um, So he's written a couple of great articles for us, but you'll find them. They'll all line up here when you click German from the menu. For example, one of the most recent articles we did was German place names, find your ancestors hometown. There was a free tool that you could use. We've got how to decipher place names and it just got a little bit easier. Um, German census records do exist. That was another great article that Jim Beidler wrote for us about finding actual German census records. And we have several others. So this is, I think, a great place to start. Then you can kind of mine everything we have here um, at Genealogy Gems that's free for you. And all these articles include lots of links to get you to other sites. And keep in mind, very likely the records you're looking for, they may not be online. That's very often the case. And it's easy to lose sight of when we're so busy online, we're making a lot of headway, and you kind of get in that online mode. But while everything's not online, certainly your searching starts online. So you're going to use the internet to identify where these other archives and libraries are and what they have, so that you can kind of put together your plan of action. And I think that you're going to find that these articles that we have are going to have a lot of great information on that. And I believe I know I've had Jim on the show at least once or twice. So I will look for that and get um, links to those episodes in the show notes as well. And you know, the good news is I'm really optimistic for you because I know I've done a lot of research in German records, particularly church records. And even though they're in another language, you know, the Germans were typically were so meticulous in their record keeping. And I know that once you kind of jump in, you get used to what the word is for marriage, what the word is for birth and death and that kind of thing. You're going to spot it so quickly and be able to really move quickly through records that you find. Another possibility once you've kind of looked through the articles that we have is to head over to the Family Search Wiki. And the easiest way to get to the wiki is just go to google.com and type in Family Search Wiki. It'll pop right up. Navigate using their map to Germany and look at their German entries. 
they have some really excellent consultants that work at the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. These are really top experts, and they write these articles. So if you have a sense of what part of Germany, that's going to make it even easier. You're going to be able to drill down a little bit. But definitely check out the Family Search Wiki. I hope these ideas help, and thank you to all of you for writing in. If you want to send me a comment or a message, you can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail at the voicemail line, and we might even play it here on the show, 925-272-4021. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad, who knows that we are winning, and I'll bet he's glad for more than any other Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage. They have over 70 million members worldwide. Now, if you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. I uploaded my family tree hoping for a breakthrough in my German family line, and that breakthrough happened really quickly. I received a message from a distant cousin in Germany, and that was my first international cousin contact. And MyHeritage has a unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. Now, this constantly calls over 8 billion historical records for your family. It's also the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. So find out what MyHeritage can do to help you grow your family tree. Visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. My family tree is an awful sight to see, for the bark is all worn bare. It's a busted stump, which is mostly punk, and the worms are nesting there. I'd point with pride to the ones who died in my gen E-L-O-G. But the fact is this, almost all my kin and kith have been hanged upon that tree. I think I hear a woodpecker knocking on my family tree. While I hear his knock, knock, One of the questions I get so often is, should I build my family tree online? And in fact, you've heard me talk about, uh, when I talk about roots magic and I talk about backblaze, about the importance of your master family tree. And several of you have written in and you've asked me, to, to kind of expand on that, what do I mean by this whole idea of a master family tree and how I'm using the branches of my tree online? So let's dig into that right now, okay? So in this gem, that's exactly what we're going to dig into. So should you build your family tree online? Well, there's really more to this question than meets the eye. Today's family historian needs a master game plan for how they're not only going to build their family tree, but where they want to build it. 
and where they're going to share it. And sometimes where you build and where you share are two different places. On the podcast, I describe it this way. I say, plant your tree in your own backyard and share your branches online. So I want to explain to you what I mean by this. And we need to do that by starting at the beginning. If you're new to researching your family's history, you probably started out with one of the genealogy giants websites, Ancestry, MyHeritage, Find My Past, or Family Search. Now, I refer to them as the genealogy giants because, of course, they have millions of genealogical records. They offer you the tools that you can build your family tree, and uh, you can learn a lot more about the genealogy giants websites. Um, We have a handy comparison guide that Sunny Martin wrote that we've published here. And that's just a really, really helpful tool to evaluate them and really do a full comparison. Each site offers something different. And depending on where you are in your research, you may need something different. And the guide helps you determine which website to focus on. Now, these websites make it easy, of course, to start entering information right away about yourself, your parents, and your grandparents either on their website, and a lot of people these days are doing that through mobile apps when the company has an app. But should you do it that way? In fact, uh, you might remember an interview where I was talking with a gal about her newspaper research, and she said she had done uh, a full year of family history research and building her tree and never got off her phone. So all of this was done on her phone. But really, should you do it that way, even though that's kind of the entry point for most people who are brand new to genealogy these days? Well, my answer is not so fast. Let's think about the long term game plan for this important information that really is your family's legacy. Just because you can create your tree on a website or very easily through an app doesn't mean you should or that that's the right place to start. Genealogy is a hobby that lasts a lifetime. It's nearly impossible to run out of ancestors or stories to explore. But have you noticed that websites don't last forever? And even if they do, their services and their tools will undoubtedly change over time. That's just the way technology is. And there are many, many genealogy websites out there. And of course, a large number of them will encourage you or even require you to start creating an online family tree on their website in order to get the most value from the tools and the information that they offer for your research. And we're talking about websites beyond the genealogy giants. You know, there's WikiTree, there's Billion Graves, there's all kinds of different sites. And some of them do ask you to start with building a tree. So as you work with these different genealogy websites, you might start feeling like your tree is getting scattered all over the web. It's easy to find yourself with different versions of your family tree in different places on the web, and you end up unsure of which one is the most accurate and the most complete version. It's this inevitable situation that leads to my conclusion that you really need to build and protect the master version of your family tree. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't or that you shouldn't use an online family tree, not at all. But in reality, regardless of whether you do or you don't, 
you need a master family tree. You need to know where the go-to tree is. This is the final say on where you are right now in your family history research. So I often use the term, plant your master family tree in your own backyard. So just what do I mean when I say you should plant your master family tree in your own backyard? I'm talking about using a genealogy database software program that resides on your own computer. So let's explore that a little further. A master family tree has three really important characteristics. Number one, it's owned and controlled by you. Number two, it's the final say on what you currently know about your family history. And number three, it is protected with online backup to ensure it's safe. So let's look at each of these characteristics more closely. Okay, so number one was that your master family tree is owned and controlled by you. If you create an online family tree on a genealogy website, uh, or in the case of Family Search's global online tree, you're really adding your information to the one big tree. Well, then you've given over final control of that information to whatever company owns that website. In order to really own and control your own family tree, you're going to need a database software program. Okay, it's installed directly onto your computer. Now you've heard me talk about them before on the show. I use Roots Magic, and of course, I'm very proud to have them as a sponsor of the Free Genealogy Gems podcast. But there are definitely other programs out there as well, and many of them are very good. But there are other programs out there as well to choose from. A genealogy database software program is, of course, installed on your computer, and the program and the data that you enter into it belongs to you. And most importantly, it's under your personal control. Genealogy databases allow you to not only easily enter your data, but also to export it. Now, if you wish to use a different program later, or you add your existing data to an online family tree, you're going to need the ability to export your family tree data easily. And we typically do that using the universally accepted GEDCOM file. Now, GEDCOM files aren't perfect. They don't include absolutely everything because we really don't have the ideal standardized format yet. We can all be hopeful, right? But of course, the players involved, the different websites, the different software programs, you know, there isn't as much motivation for them to standardize as there might be to us as genealogists. But generally speaking, when you export your GEDCOM file, you're getting the core of your family tree so that you can put it somewhere else and use it in different ways. We've written a lot over at genealogygems.com about uh, software and GEDCOM files. Uh, In particular, we have an article called GEDCOM file, what it is and how to use this genealogy file. So uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to that article. It's really good. If this is kind of a new term for you, uh, head over there and take a quick read of that because it's important to be aware of. And like I say, we're all very hopeful that maybe in the future we'll we'll get an even more coordinated and universally accepted and standardized um, version of the GEDCOM. That would be terrific. So you can export your file 
And you can, which gives you the freedom to be able to start and use a whole different genealogy database, or maybe use one for the first time. But when you put your data and your family tree into somebody else's website, there's no guarantee that they are going to allow you to export your file. The only way you can guarantee that now and in the future is by having your own software program on your computer. So another important characteristic of a master family tree, number two, it is the final say on what you currently know about your family tree. As you research your family tree, you will come to important conclusions, such as an ancestor's birth date or the village where they were born. And it can take a while to prove your findings are accurate. But once you do, you need one location in which you can keep those findings and get them recorded. And most importantly, you've got to be able to cite your sources for that information. So that one location for all of this activity is really your genealogy software database. However, the nature of genealogy research is that it can take some digging to prove the information is correct. So during the process of that research that you're doing, you may find information and and you're just not sure about it. And it can be really helpful to attach it to the online family tree that you have at the same website where you found the information. That gives you a way to hang on to it and to keep researching. You can always remove it later. We'll talk more in just a moment about strategies for using online family trees. So once you're convinced that the information is correct, then even if you've put that information somewhere out in a family tree online, its final resting place is in your master family tree on your computer. You enter the information into the database and you add your source citations. This way, whenever you need an accurate view of exactly where you are in your completed family tree research, you can turn to that one location, your genealogy database software and the master family tree that it contains. Believe me, the more you research, the more you move around online, the more likely things are to get scattered. Having your database gives you that one place to go to say, where did I really leave off on proven information? And where's all the backup? It's in my database. And finally, number three, in my book, it's a master family tree only if it's protected with online backup. And that makes sure that it's really safe. Because your family tree isn't safe unless the database file is backed up to the cloud. It's just not. Who among us hasn't had a computer malfunction or die? You might remember Karen, who wrote in and told us about the fact that there was a fire in her home and a computer was destroyed. It's just not good enough to simply back up your computer files to an external hard drive that you keep in your house because... Well, one, it's an external hard drive that you keep in your house. And if something happens to your house, like it did with Karen, you're in trouble. So if your house is damaged or burglarized, chances are both your computer and your backup are going to be affected. Another problem with backing up to an external hard drive is that they can malfunction and they can break. Okay, they are hardware. And of course, there is the problem of remembering to back it up on a regular basis. You've heard people say, oh, it's the first of the month, time to back up. Well, life gets in the way, doesn't it? (laughs) Research gets in the way, and sometimes we don't get that done. 
And however many days it's been since the last time you backed it up, that's how many days are going to be lost if something happens. Cloud Backup really solves these problems by backing up your files automatically and storing them safely in an offsite location. That's why it's important that they're on the cloud. We need to get them out of your house. We need to have a complete duplicate copy stored safely somewhere far away so that if something happens in your location, you have the backup in the other location. And the cloud is such an easy way to do that. Cloud Backup is actually very simple to install and it requires no work on your part once it's up and running. Now, not too long ago, we wrote another article over at Genealogy Gems on this topic and it walks you through the process of um, how to download Cloud Backup. In particular, we talked about Backblaze, which is the one that I use personally, both for Genealogy Gems and for my own genealogy research in my computer. And it's really four simple steps that you can follow. To summarize them, you go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. You can sign up for their free trial or you can go ahead and just get your backup account. I think that's the the good way to go. Uh, You're going to be asked, number two, to create an account. So you add your email address and you choose a password. And then you click start backing up. (laughs) It's so simple. A pop-up window appears and you can download Backblaze to your device. And then next, another pop-up window is going to ask you for permission to install Backblaze to your computer. You need to install the, this um, app so that it can run in the future and for all the days to come. So you just click OK. And then you just wait patiently. Yet another pop-up window is going to appear. It's going to ask you to install. You click install now. It takes a couple of minutes depending on how um, fast your internet connection is. And then you have Backblaze installed. So the backup just starts running automatically. Uh, It might take up to about a week or so, depends on your internet connection, depends how many files you have. But the beauty of this is you don't have to mess with it. It's just happening in the background. And the article that I I said I'll have for you in the show notes um, also gives information on how you can schedule your backup. Uh, There are times when I'm recording or I'm doing a webinar where I just want everything else that's running in the background to pause. And you can do that. You can it so that you can free up resources, you can schedule it however you want to do it. But truly, if it's, it's, it can be just as simple as set it up, tell it to install, you don't think about it again, until you need your your data. And I've actually had that happen to me as well. It is a huge deal when you realize, oh, with a click, I can get this information back. So that's huge. Of course, there are many different cloud backup services, and this is a key part of your master family tree plan. So um, as I said, I use Backblaze. Um, You can go to backblaze.com slash Lisa to uh, learn all about that and get yours as well. And of course, when you do it, when you use our link, you're definitely supporting this free show, which I so appreciate. And of course, as a genealogist, I had a checklist of features that were really, really important to me. And that's why I ended up going with Backblaze, because it really checked all the boxes. Regardless of which service you choose, the most important thing is to not wait another day to set it up. Okay, this protection is a critical part of your genealogy master family tree plan. So now that you have your own database, right, you've picked some software, you've got it on your computer, and now your computer is backed up to the cloud for protection. 
let's talk about strategic ways that you can use online family trees. First, it's really important to realize that you don't have to create a tree on a genealogy website just because they prompt you to. Okay, nobody's watching. There are no family tree police. So while there are benefits, perhaps for you to do so, the company who owns the website where you're putting your data actually benefits tremendously as well. That's because in today's world, data is really valuable. And I encourage you to read the terms of service and other fine print. I know it's super boring (laughs) because that fine print, those terms of service and all that fine print is going to explain the ownership and the potential use of that data that you're entering into their system. And you, my friend, want to stay the owner. And while I'm not really focusing on this here today, it's important to understand that other industries are interested in family history data. And data may be shared, it may be sold, with or without identifying information. And that really depends on the terms of service for each and every genealogy website you come in contact with. But as I say, there are benefits to using online family trees. So let's talk about those. The first benefit is hints. Online family trees generate research hints on the Genealogy Giants websites and some of the other websites that also offer trees. Of course, hints are the way in which they use the tree that you've entered, that data about those people, and it tries to connect you with other records, other people, other trees, right? And of course, we want to keep in mind, hints are only hints. They're not proof. They're not true. They're not accurate until you've done the research to prove them and um, determine that for yourself. Uh, Another benefit would be cousin connections. Of course, online family trees offer you a terrific opportunity to possibly connect with other relatives who find your tree or you find their tree. And if that's of interest to you, that's great. Some people don't really want to do that. Or they've had negative experiences where you reach out and the person never responds or they don't have as much as you do or they just copied it off of somebody else's tree and it was wrong. So we have to, again, keep cousin connections um, and take those with a grain of salt, keep them in mind like we do hints and, of course, be cautious and as we interact with people that we don't know at first. And another benefit might be DNA. So online family trees can now dovetail with your DNA test results if you took a test with a company where your tree resides. This can offer you additional research avenues as well. And several of the companies like MyHeritage and Ancestry have released new tools this year that do even more of the work for you. You know, it automates more of the stuff that we were all kind of struggling to figure out for ourselves. Um, some of that's being automated and generated for you. So having it connected, having your DNA results in the same place as you have a copy of your online family tree could be really valuable to you. These benefits can be helpful indeed. However, you know, problems come up. Okay, so what are some of the issues? Well, one of the problems is copying. When your tree is public, that typically means that other users of the website can copy and redistribute your information, including your family photos, 
I've come across trees where the person says, you know, this is my photo, I uploaded it, and I know darn well where that photo came from. (laughs) It came from my tree. Does that make a difference? It may or may not to you. But you just have to be aware that once it's out there and it's public, regardless of copyright law or anything else, not everybody follows the rules and copying can occur. Another issue can be, of course, we just alluded to it, the errors that are in the online family trees. If you discover an error in your tree, you may fix it, but chances are it's already been widely copied and distributed by other people. And there are, of course, many other people out there who have online trees that they just slap copied from somebody else, never checking anything. So once something's out there, it's really almost impossible to pull it back. And another possible area of concern is email. If you have your entire family tree online and your email notifications are active, you could end up receiving an onslaught of hints for people in your tree. I remember that happening to me early on when this whole thing got started. Um, Often these are very distant cousins in your tree that you're not currently actively researching. And let's face it, the emails can be annoying and distract your focus from your targeted research. For example, um, at least currently at Ancestry.com, You can't select which ancestors that you want to receive email notifications for or hint notifications for. Uh, You can only select that you want hints for the entire tree. So right there, you realize that you have to be thinking, whoever I include in the online family tree is who I'm going to generate hints for. And if I want to see any of my notifications for those hints, I'm going to get them all which kind of is going to lead us into what we're going to talk about, which is you don't have to put your entire tree on any genealogy website, particularly because your entire tree is on your computer, right? So let's review my strategy. You plant your tree in your own backyard on your computer, and you share branches online. Now that you've planted your tree in your own backed up software on your computer, Let's explore the ways in which you can share the branches of that tree online. First up are targeted online family trees. Now, many people don't realize they don't have to add their entire tree to a website. You can just add part of your tree. So why would you want to do that? Well, for example, I may just put my direct ancestors in my tree. So I might have just the grandparents, the great grandparents and so forth. And this can still end up being a fairly large number of people, right? I may want to include their siblings because they grew up in the same household. So I'm interested in that cluster of people around those direct ancestors. But I can leave out the far-reaching branches and the relatives that really don't have a direct impact on that line of research. That cuts down a lot of noise, a lot of emails, a lot of hints, just a lot of stuff. You can also have multiple trees that focus on specific areas of your research that are important to you. And that might be a new idea for you. Um, A lot of people don't realize you can have more than one tree. So you can put, um, you know, this branch and that branch and kind of keep it into the core group that you're researching. And you can have that branch up there just for as long as you're researching it. And that brings us to the other strategy I wanted to talk to you about, 
in terms of using branches of your tree online. And that's exploratory online family trees. Some genealogists also create trees that represent a working theory that they have. Now, this type of tree can help expose where the problems or the inaccuracies lie in your research. As you research the theory and the hints start popping up, it can become very clear pretty quickly that maybe this relationship doesn't exist after all. And you can go check out those records, make your determination, analyze the situation and go, oh, okay, I didn't have this quite right. An exploratory tree is an excellent reminder that we can't and we shouldn't make assumptions about someone's intent or purposes with their online tree. I have heard so many people who are angry about inaccuracies they find in other people's trees. And we talked about them just a few minutes ago. They're kind of annoying. But we can't really know that person's purpose for why they put that tree up there. And therefore, it really isn't our place to judge. And why raise your blood pressure over it? It's possible they're just exploring an idea or a research um, question. So don't put that much stock into, again, other people's trees or their motivations for some of the issues that they have in their trees. However, I think it's a fair argument that a good practice would be to clearly mark these exploratory trees accordingly to deter other users from blindly copying and replicating the inaccurate information. Now, there's a really easy way to do this. I don't know why more people don't do it. You can do this in the title or the name of your tree. So for example, if I was going to create an exploratory tree, uh, I could title it Jonas Smith tree and in big capital letters, unproven, (laughs) or whatever you want to put in there, something that just flags it. Hey, folks, I'm working on this. Don't take this literally. Creating multiple limited trees can really be an effective strategy for conducting targeted online genealogy research that only generates hints and connections for those ancestors that you're really interested in at the current time. And remember, you can remove any of your trees at any time. You can delete an exploratory tree that has served its purpose and helped you prove or disprove a relationship. So there you have it. What I mean by plant your tree in your own backyard and share branches online. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you do this. How do you set up your exploratory trees? Where do you put your trees? What are some of the issues that you've run into and the solutions that you've found? You can always reach me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at the voicemail line 925-272-4021. I think I hear a woodpecker knocking on my family tree while I hear his knock, knock, knock. I think he's on to me. My family did a whole lot of things that ain't in history. But when he makes free with my ancestry, he's knocking me. Profile America, Friday, May 24th. 
In a way, today marks the 175th birthday of the World Wide Web. Only, it was electromechanical, not digital. On this date in 1844, Samuel F.B. Morse activated the first telegraph line, sending a dots and dashes code message from the U.S. Capitol building to a receiver in Baltimore. By the late 1850s, the first telegraph cable had been laid across the Atlantic Ocean, and in 1861, the telegraph spanned the continental United States. Over the ensuing decades, the wires wrapped around the world. From the 1844 demonstration, telecommunications today has grown into a half trillion dollar a year industry and employs more than 1 million workers in over 59,000 industry establishments. You can find more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. Thanks for joining me for Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 229. I am uh, about a week away from heading out. To Birmingham, England. Yep, we, Bill and I are heading to England. I'll be speaking at the brand new, first time, The Genealogy Show. That's the name of it The Genealogy Show. It's going to be in Birmingham, England,、uh, June 7th and 8th, 2019. And we're really looking forward to it. We're going to take, get this, a one week vacation. I know it's radical, it never happens. <laughs> But we're going to take one week and、um, head up into the I guess the lakes country, the hill country. We're gonna, we're gonna go see the pretty part of well, one of the pretty parts of England and visit some of the manor houses, some of the houses that were inspirations for some of Jane Austen's books. We're really well, okay, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and Bill is a really great sport. And that, my friends, is why we are celebrating our 35th anniversary. It's going to be、uh, the day we fly back, actually, but we're going to pretend it's the week before. So I think it's going to be a blast. And then I can't wait to kind of wrap it up at、uh, the conference in Birmingham. I'll be one of their featured speakers, along with Judy Russell and Blaine Bettinger and、uh, so many other names.、Um, I'm going to take as many pictures and videos as I can. So, and of course, audio. So stay tuned here to the podcast because we'll have all of that for you. And of course, Be sure and follow me on Instagram at Genealogy Gems Podcast or just, just go into Instagram, the free app, type my name, type Genealogy Gems, I'll pop right up. Follow me there because I'm going to have some really cool stuff there exclusively from England and also、um, the Genealogy Gems Podcast Facebook page. So、um, lots of places to follow us and be sure to be back here next month. Because we are heading out、uh, on the road and internationally, I've had to do some kind of、uh, working ahead a little bit in the schedule. And I'm just putting the finishing touches also on the June episode. And I'm really excited about it. I think you're going to like it. We're going to go back to a bit of our story format. I have an intriguing story, a surprising story. It's happy, it's sad, it's happy again. But all of it is going to come back around to inspiring you and giving you the strategies and the techniques that you need to tell your own story. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> It's going to be really cool. Be sure and be here、uh, next month for the Genealogy Gems podcast. I'm always so thrilled and honored that you put me and this show on your、um, podcast listening list. I love bringing this to you. And of course, I love hearing from you. So keep the emails coming. And until next time, thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.